Hello, fellow fiends. Welcome to another episode of Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces. I am your host, Cassiopeia. I hope you're all having a absolutely wonderful, amazing year. I hope it's starting to warm up for those of you who are experiencing colder weather. Um, I live in Florida, so it's actually not as hot as it usually is. Um, but yeah, I just hope that everyone's having a great um, year, a great spring. Um, we're coming into, you know, some of the best weather of the season. Um, so yeah, um, don't forget, you can find episodes of Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces every Friday. And after this episode, there's only three more left of season four. Um, unless you subscribe through Patreon or Anchor, and then you have five more episodes because you'll get two bonus episodes from now until the end of season four. And you can actually subscribe for as low as just $5 a month. Now, bonus episodes come out every other Tuesday. And on top of that uh, bonus content, you actually get a merchandise discount, which is good for 10% off in the Wiccan Fay shop at pizzaandpigtails.com. And it's actually good for any merchandise item, including the Creepy Cases merchandise and the Wiccan Fay candles. So there's actually kind of a double whammy there. Um, and you'll also receive a little thank you swag box, uh, depending on if you go through Patreon, you um, there's different tiers. So the different levels, uh, just depending on which one you sign up for, it depends on what comes in that swag box. And if you go through the Anchor website, um, you still get the thank you swag box, um, just a couple, you know, just it's on a smaller scale. Um, if you're kind of doing the, well, I'm not sure I want to subscribe, but I still want to support the podcast, you can actually do so um, if you want to donate through Cash App. Um, it's, uh, I'll also post it. Um, as I'm speaking it, but it's the little dollar sign C-O-P-E-I-A. So it's the little dollar sign C-O-P-E-I-A. And um, any little bit, even a dollar, is um, very appreciated because um, just I never thought that this podcast, well, I did think this podcast would go somewhere, um, but the amount of support is actually overwhelming and I actually really appreciate it. So I love going and experiencing different places and I love telling you about the places and the cases and just everywhere and everything and let's just keep that creepy spooky going together. Um, also, you can actually support the podcast by um, following on your favorite podcast platform, um, following on the YouTube channel, liking the videos, commenting, sharing. Sharing is actually a big part of um, the algorithm and getting the podcast seen, getting noticed. Um, I'm sure you have fellow fiends that you know who love the genre as much as we do. So go ahead and bring them into our, our circle, bring them into our tribe. Um, and you can also sign up now for the newsletter. I'm still getting the details kind of put together on that, but you can send your information either through the Pizza and Pigtails website 
um, just on the front page, or you can just send me your name and email through any of the social media platforms. And um, you can follow those for news and updates. Also, creepycases.spookyspaces. Um, if you want to email me, it's creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com. Um, so now that we've got all those formalities out of the way, um, on to this week's episode. And uh, listener discretion is advised, just like every other, every other episode. Um, so this one is actually kind of a creepy case and a spooky space, as tragedy struck this home not once, but twice. And uh, this one is another that kind of, um, it didn't really catch me off guard. But I was surprised by what I learned during my research. So when you think of Frank Lloyd Wright, you naturally think of a great architect and the many, many buildings that he's designed all across the world. You don't associate him, however, with a heinous crime and a haunted house. But... A scandalous affair and a grisly massacre is what this episode is all about. Now, August 15th, 1914, Spring Green, Wisconsin. A beautiful home turns into a terrible crime scene when the lives of seven people were claimed. Now, Wright was in Chicago at this time, working on the design for Midway Gardens when the residents and his workers of the home, Telizen, sat down to lunch. Now, as the workers were eating in the dining room, 19-year-old draftsman Herbert Fritz and his table mates noticed something rather unusual. According to Fritz, they heard a loud swish as though water had been thrown through the screen door. And they said that it filled up almost like the dishwasher had flooded. But that's when the room suddenly burst into flames. Now, when the workers tried to escape, they found that the door had been locked from the other side, trapping them all. Now, with his clothes burning and his hair ablaze, Fritz jumped out of the window closest to where he was sitting. He rolled himself down the hillside to extinguish the flames that were covering him. And when he looked back, he saw the home in flames and the culprit swinging a hatchet at his fellow co-workers who had managed to force the dining room door open and escape through a window. Now, Fritz, along with Billy Weston and David Limblum, were able to get to the nearest house, which was nearly a half a mile away, and call for help. As people rushed to the home, Upon arriving, they found the bodies of Wright's mistress, Martha, her two young children, and 13-year-old Ernest Weston, the son of Billy Weston. And David Limblum actually died later from his injuries. And so this week's creepy case slash spooky space is of Taylesian in... Spring Green, Wisconsin. 
Um, he was an American architect, designer, writer, and educator who designed over 1,000 structures all throughout the world over a 70-year career span. Now, among the offices, churches, schools, skyscrapers, hotels, and museums is Ennis House in Los Angeles, California, which has actually been used in multiple films and TV shows. Uh, Falling Water in Pennsylvania, which Frank, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, actually considered his all-time best work. And the Imperial Hotel in Japan and the Child of the Sun at Florida Southern College in Lakeland, Florida. Now, Wright played a major role in architectural movements of the 20th century, and he influenced architects all over the world, and I'm sure his work still does. And he believed in designing in harmony with humanity and the environment, and it was a um, basically a design that he called organic architecture. And this would include um, a home being built around a tree or built um, into a hillside or on a hillside or just random things that nature would kind of coincide with the building that he was designing. And I actually think that's kind of cool. Like I always said that I would love to live in like a little cottage or like um, the Shire <laughs> so to speak. Um, but I think it would be really awesome to have a home that was kind of um, just based on like a cool nature, um, nature area. Now, Wright also designed interior elements such as leaded glass windows, floors, furniture, and even tableware that were um, all included in his structures. Now, he wrote several books and numerous articles, and he gave lectures in the United States and Europe. Um, in 1991, Wright was recognized by the American Institute of Architects um, of, as the greatest American architect of all time. Now, while that may be, Frank had quite the private life that would raise more than a few eyebrows. So, Frank Lloyd Wright was born June 8th, 1867, in Richland Center, Wisconsin. Now, for some reason, not sure why, um, he maintained throughout his life that he was born in 1869. And now I don't want to hear anyone ever talk about or make fun of women lying about their age. All right. Because obviously men do it too. <laughs> um, so uh, I've totally lost my train of thought. Um, so Wright's father, William Carey Wright, was a musician, an orator, and a published composer who was born in Massachusetts. Now, he was originally a Baptist minister, but he later joined his wife's family in the Unitarian faith. Now, Anna Lloyd-Jones was a teacher and member of the Lloyd-Jones clan from Wales, and one of her brothers was a prominent figure of the Unitarian faith. Now, according to his biography, Wright grew up in an unstable household with constant lack of resources, unrelieved poverty, and anxiety. 
and he had a deeply disturbed and obviously unhappy childhood. Now, the family moved around from state to state as his father would hold pastorates, but due to the financial struggles, they returned to Spring Green, where Anna's family could help William or help the family while William found employment. Now, in 1877, they finally settled in Madison, Wisconsin, where William offered music lessons and was a secretary for the Unitarian Society. Um, William was quite the distant parent, but he shared his love of music with his children. Now, Anna came across Froebel gifts at an exhibit um, in 1876. Now, these are um, like educational play materials for kindergarten students, and they, um, they were designed by Friedrich Froebel. And the blocks are geometrically shaped to be assembled in various combinations. Um, so Anna was a teacher, and she was really excited by this program and purchased a set for Wright. Now, he stated in his autobiography just how much those blocks influenced his approach on design. Um, Wright's parents separated when he was just 14 years old, and three years after, William sued Anna for a divorce on the grounds of emotional cruelty, physical violence, and spousal abandonment. And William left Wisconsin in 1885, and Wright actually never saw his father again after that. Now, Wright attended Madison High School, but there's no record of him graduating. Um, not to say he didn't. However, there's no record of it. Um, at age 19, he decided to become an architect and was admitted to the University of Wisconsin-Madison while he worked under Professor of Civil Engineering Alan D. Conover. Now, Wright actually left the college without getting his degree, but he was granted an honorary doctorate of fine arts in 1955, which, I mean, no offense, but I mean, I, I get it. He was fantastic and all. Um, however, I, I mean, you just hand somebody an honorary doctorate that it didn't even work for. Like, it's not fair. Uh, <laughs> Um, so Wright, um, in 1886, collaborated with Joseph Lyman Silsby on the Unity Chapel for his family in Spring Green, Wisconsin. It is so hard, by the way, not to say Springfield. Every time I say Spring Green, I actually have to, like, force myself to stop at the word spring and then add the word green. <laughs> um, so... Um, so after that, in 1887, Wright moved to Chicago looking for employment, and he actually wrote in his biography that his first impressions of the city were not so great. Um, he thought the city was ugly and chaotic and just kind of dirty. But at this time, it was after the uh, Great Chicago Fire of 1871 and a population boom. And so there was plenty of new development needed. 
Now, within just a few days and several interviews, he was hired as a draftsman with Joseph Lyman Silsby. But he felt that he was underpaid for the quality and the amount of work that he was doing, so he decided to find employment elsewhere. He became an architectural designer at Beers, Clay, and Dutton, but he soon felt that he wasn't ready to really handle design on his own just yet, so he returned to Silsby, but with a raise in pay. Now, in 1888, Wright changed employment again, and he went to Adler and Sullivan as an official apprentice. Now, he didn't get along with Sullivan's other draftsmen, and he actually wrote about several physical altercations during the first year of his apprenticeship. Um, in 1889, the month of June, Wright married Catherine Kitty Tobin. And um, in 1890, Wright had become head draftsman and dealt with all of the residential designs that came into the company. And even though Adler and Sullivan didn't really design or build residential properties, they would make exceptions at time for their important commercial property clients, which I guess makes sense because, you know, keep that. Keep that relationship good. Keep that money coming in. Um, now, Frank and Catherine had their first child, Frank Lloyd Wright Jr., in 1890, and he also became a notable architect. Now, their second son, John Lloyd Wright, came along in 1892, and he actually invented Lincoln Logs in 1918 and practiced architecture in San Diego. Now, I actually didn't know that Frank Lloyd Wright's son is who invented Lincoln Logs. So that was also a new thing that I learned during this research. Now, Sullivan apparently didn't know about the side projects that Wright was working on. Um, but in 1893, he recognized... Um, Wright's unmistakable work on a house located only a couple of blocks from his own home. And since Wright's contract stated that he wasn't allowed to partake in um, outside deals, he was actually let go from the firm. Or he quit. It's actually a little unclear, and there are two versions of the story that both have been told by Wright himself, so we're not clear as to if he was fired or if he just quit and went his separate way. Um, but either way, he and Sullivan didn't speak for another 12 years. So after Wright left Adler and Sullivan, he set up his own business in the Schiller Building in Chicago, and this was in 1893. And the next year, 1894, his daughter Catherine was born. Now, Catherine was a housewife, and she was actually the mother of Oscar Winner, um, and Baxter, which I think that's pretty cool, too. One of those other things that you don't really 
No, I mean, it's not, I mean, obviously, like, Frank Lloyd Wright's cool and all, but he's not somebody that I've really looked into the um, complete family history of. Um, so in uh, 1895, David Samuel Wright, their fourth child, was born, and he went on to be a building products representative. Now, let's fast forward a little bit, though, because Frank Lloyd Wright, obviously very accomplished, very successful. And as I said earlier, I could seriously go on and on about his life, the buildings he built. Um, but I mean, the different ways that he made his money, but that's not what this podcast is about. And so he went on to form the Prairie School. He began to design Prairie style homes. He designed the Unity Temple in Illinois the Banff National Park Pavilion in Canada, um, the Midway Gardens in Chicago, and even traveled to Japan where he designed multiple buildings there, including the Imperial Hotel. He also designed a textile concrete block system. Um, also, just a side note, um, if you want to hear more about Banff, um, um, a spooky space in Banff, uh, Canada, Check out uh, season one, and there's a pretty crazy hotel, uh, big resort there. And it also has quite the, uh, from Stanley Steamer, so uh, that guy. Um, I can't remember his name. I'm so sorry. Um, but check it out. It's actually pretty interesting, and it's full of paranormal activity. So... In 1898, he had another child, Francis Wright, who went on to be an arts administrator. And in 1903, his sixth child uh, with Catherine, Robert Llewellyn, was born and became an attorney. Now, in 1903, hmm, hmm, uh, Frank and Catherine, along with their six children, were living in Oak Park, Illinois. Now, Catherine met a woman named Martha Mama Borthwick Cheney through a, I can never say this word, philanthropic women's group uh, where they were both members called the 19th Century Club. Now, she introduced her and Edwin, Martha's husband, to Frank, and the couple soon became really good friends. Now, Edwin was an admirer of Wright's work, so it wasn't long after they met that he commissioned him to design a new home for his family. Only, over time, it became clear to everyone in town, including Edwin and Catherine, that Frank and Martha had become maybe a little too close. Um, Frank viewed Martha as an intellectual equal, and Martha was very educated. She had a bachelor's degree, she had a master's degree from the University of Michigan, and he also viewed her as his soulmate. Now, the affair soon became a whole thing. 
um, just a major scandal, right? So national media attention, and it actually went on for quite a few years. And in 1909, the couple actually decided to leave their spouses and start a new life together. Now, trying to avoid even more press attention, they traveled to Europe separately, um, each going to different destinations, and then they would meet discreetly in Florence, Italy. Except the couple stayed in Italy for almost a year, and Wright took this time to kind of study the local architecture, and he was building a new studio back home, so he worked on sketches for that as well. Uh, during this time, Edwin had granted Martha a divorce, taking custody of two, their two children. But Catherine actually refused to divorce uh, Frank because she fully believed that he would eventually come to his senses and return to her and their six children. But the exact opposite happened, and Wright basically abandoned them. Now, when the couple returned to the United States, they were ostracized from Chicago society. Like, people did not want anything to do with them. So they moved back to Wisconsin to build a home for themselves and to start their lives completely anew and to kind of live out of the public eye. Um, they named the home they built Taylesian, but it was quickly renamed the Love Cottage by the locals who were not welcoming of their new neighbors at all. They felt the scandal was bound to have a demoralizing effect on the school children of the community. And they were pretty vocal about it as well. Like they spoke their minds to Frank and Martha. Um, they gave disappointing looks and they even threatened to tar and feather the couple as they drove through town which that kind of made me laugh because <laughs> I I know that it was like a thing back in like the back then but I just to tar and feather somebody I just I'd hate to see it because I'm pretty sure like I I've heard like horror stories about it but it's just one of those things where you're like tar and feathering that's a that's a that was a thing um, but so this actually didn't deter Frank and Martha at all. And they, the, um, neighbors actually went as far as to complain to the local sheriff to try to get him to arrest Wright. Um, now Wright cared very little about what everyone said about his relationship and things actually went pretty well for him over the next few years. And even though Edwin had couple couple had custody of the two young children, John and Martha, they would visit um, Martha at television often. But the love nest that was such a happy home would quickly turn into a slaughterhouse. And so this brings us back to the afternoon of August 15th, 1914, when, as I said, Wright was in Chicago working on the design of Midway Gardens, when he got the phone call that Taylesian was on fire. Now, meanwhile, Martha, her two young children, eight-year-old um, we'll call her young Martha, and 12-year-old John sat down on the porch at home. 
Now, inside the main dining room, Wright's draftsmen and laborers had gathered around the table to be served lunch by 30-year-old Barbados native Julian Carlton, a handyman and servant who had spent his summer doing housework around Talesian. And his wife actually uh, lived and worked there as well, and she did most of the cooking. Now, Carlton knew Martha and the children would be taking lunch on the opposite end of the house from the staff. And so this actually made them easy targets for him. Now, right before lunch, uh, Carlton told his wife to leave the home. Then he grabbed a hatchet, pardon me, and attacked Martha and her children first. And he landed several blows to the head and necks of both Martha and John, where they sat at the table. Now, young Martha was able to run, but Carlton quickly caught up with her in the courtyard and buried the hatchet into her body as well. He then doused the bodies in gasoline and put a match to them. Carlton then made his way to the other end of the house, served the workers soup, and while they were distracted, he locked the door, poured gasoline underneath, and set the house on fire. Now, Herbert Fritz jumped out of the window, rolling down the hill to extinguish himself, and when he looked back, he saw Talesian in flames while Carlton swung the hatchet at his co-workers who were escaping out of a window into the courtyard after forcing the dining room door open. Now, although badly burned and wounded, 35-year-old Billy Weston, a carpenter who helped build the home, and landscaper David Limblum managed to escape with Fritz, and the three men hurried to the nearest house a half a mile away to call for help. Now, those who rushed to the home found the bodies of Martha, her two children, John and young Martha, two workers, Emile Braudel and Thomas Bruckner, along with 13-year-old Ernest Weston, who was the son of Billy Weston. And they all died from severe burns and cuts to the head and neck. Now, David Limblum would also die later from his injuries. Now, preacher Jenkin Lloyd-Jones and the local sheriff assembled a posse to track Carlton down. And just a few hours after the attack, he was found in the basement furnace of the house, waiting out the blaze in a fireproof furnace chamber. Now, he had brought a vial of hydrochloric acid so he could use it to commit suicide if the heat from the fire became unbearable inside the chamber. And he had already ingested it by the time they found him. So he had badly burned his esophagus, but he was still alive. So he was taken into custody at the Dodgeville Jail, where he received medical treatment. Now, despite this, he died seven weeks later, and he never gave any reasons as to why he did what he did on that fateful day. But he also wasn't able to stand trial. He had refused to eat since his arrest, and toward the end, he was 100% unconscious 
Now, Wright and Edwin Cheney took a train to Taillegion that night, arriving to find what Wright later described as a devastating scene of horror. Now, Cheney basically gathered the bodies of his children and left. And Wright refused to let the undertaker touch the body of the woman he loved. He had his own carpenters fashion a simple wooden box for her, and there was no funeral. The coffin was placed on a farm wagon covered in flowers and drawn by horses. The coffin was then um, drawn to the cemetery behind his mother's family chapel where Wright's son and two cousins helped him, uh, helped him lower it. Now Wright filled Martha's grave in on his own and he actually left it unmarked because he couldn't bear to be reminded of her loss. Hmm. I find it to be a little weird uh, just because, I mean, you still want to mark that she's there. You don't have to go to it. Um, so now back to the why Julian Carlton performed such a gruesome attack. And this is just from what his wife Gertrude had said. Um, she said that he had become increasingly paranoid in the weeks leading up to the attack. And he even slept with a hatchet in a bag next to the bed. And you would all, or she, not me, or you, um, but she would all often find him staring out the window while holding a butcher knife. Now, she told Julian, or she told how Julian was being harassed and abused by some of the other workers. And there had been many arguments, and one had been just a few days before the attack when Julian was called a black son of a bitch, among other racial slurs that I will not say. Now, there was another altercation where Carlton explained that he was abused for over an hour by one of the other workers on the, on the land, and this caused him to tell the other worker that he would get him, and he basically just waited for his chance. Now, the final straw led Wright to putting an ad for a new chef, and Martha told the um, Carltons that they were no longer needed, and they were actually supposed to be taking a train back to Chicago the night of the attack. Now, Wright, in his grief, rebuilt Tillesian, but it caught fire again due to faulty wiring, and this caused him to rebuild yet again, and the building there still stands today. Um, in the hours after Carlton's attack, rescue workers took the dead and the dying to a cottage in the field called Tanny Dare, where Wright's sister lived. Now, there are numerous accounts to strange happenings that still happen today, and lights will turn on and off. Windows open and close on their own. Doors slam when no one's around. Phantom smells of smoke and gasoline are experienced, followed by the voices of children. Now, Martha's spirit has actually been seen around the area, dressed in a white flowing gown. And while she is 
a peaceful presence. She also looks distraught and seems lost or as if she's looking for something. Now, a lot of people say that they'll, well, not a lot of people, but people who work there say that they'll close the house up for the night only to come back and find everything wide open the next day. Now, upon my research, I actually found that this isn't the only building that Frank Lloyd Wright designed that is haunted or has had a major tragedy following. So could it be that Frank himself is cursed? Um... But you can hear more about that um, in the second episode of this series, where I'll tell you more about the haunted homes of Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, so join in on the conversation. Uh, like the video, comment, share, tag folks that you think would find it interesting. Get them in on the conversation. Tell me if you've ever been to Tail Lesion. Tell me if you've been to any of the buildings that Frank Lloyd Wright designed, if you've experienced any paranormal activity. Um, and as always, see you next crime. Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces with Cassiopeia is a Pizza and Pigtails production. All episodes are researched, written, and edited by yours truly. You can find new episodes every Friday with bonus episodes coming out every other Tuesday. You can find the podcast on your favorite listening platform or now you can find it on YouTube as well. Don't forget to follow along on social media, creepycases.spookyspaces, for all future news, updates, and maybe some content that you won't find on the podcast. Also, be sure to subscribe so you can get access to bonus content, early access to content, and a couple of little thank you swag. If you'd like to contact me about appearing on a future episode, maybe you would like to suggest your own creepy case or spooky space, or maybe you'd also like to reach out about ad space, you can reach me directly at creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com, or feel free to reach out through those social media platforms as well. And as always, see you next crime.